and you can press play. Work it, make it, do it, makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. Work it, harder, make it, better, do it, faster, makes us stronger, more than ever. Congrats on the 20,000, you guys, really. Congratulations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to That That Don't Kill Me, the podcast about health, illness, and disability by the people who live it every day. I'm Jamie. And I'm Kendall. And we are back with episode two, and we have a guest this week. Yay, our first guest. Our first guest. So exciting. Yeah. Um, we talked to other people. We did. Guys. We got a lot of people that we sort of thought nobody would want to talk to us, or at least I did when we first started. I thought some people would want to yeah. talk to me. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I had this idea of people going to be like, who the hell are you guys? Um, I... I really i mean one of my many talents is that i'm a good booker yeah right you have literally professional experience except booking. for the fact that jamie has booked 99 percent of the <gasps> no, guests on this 99%. podcast i mean I you've some of them. you've lifted you've done your fair share is what i'm saying i'm thinking i'm glad so to, even yeah. though even though you potentially were a little bit less sure of whether or not people would want to talk to you I saw, we somehow, they have yeah they have, they have somehow got it to work um our first guest is the poet and essayist, Anne Boyer, and she just wrote this book called The Undying, which came out, I guess, at this point last month. Which also really fits our title of our podcast, yeah. that, that Don't Kill Me. Undying, Don't so. Kill Me. Yeah, it's really fitting. Um, so I first, I guess we should talk about how we first found Anne. I, I, so I saw an excerpt from her book in The New Yorker. Um, and probably back in small like, publication. Yeah. Little they're They're doing art. They're chugging along. They'll get there one day. Um, <laughs> I think back in like the summer and it's, it's an excerpt mostly from the opening of the book, but it like condenses, pulls a lot of pieces and it's an essay about her experience of getting diagnosed with, uh, I think it's called triple, triple negative. negative breast cancer is how you would say it. Um, about getting diagnosed with, with breast cancer and, you know, finding her way in the medical system and then finding her way through it. And um, she's like a super kind of critical intellectual thinker um, that uh, so she like wrote this book that is kind of half um, like critical assessment of like healthcare in 2019 and half like her experience we should say that this episode has caused um undying <laughs> tension quite a bit of debate between, between jamie and i yeah, between the two of us. from the moment that jamie originally kind of sent me the new yorker excerpt yes, yes. um so, i was yeah. toiling with what she says yeah. Which I think is really good because that means it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but it has, it has, it started, our spats started in Jamie's kitchen. After have, recording a different episode. Yes. And have continued via text. 
yeah in other weeks for other yeah, for week, weeks for weeks for weeks through the recording and through after the, <laughs> the recording through the editing yeah sitting here today till today yeah we are still looking at each other with uh <laughs> devilish smiles um so yeah the, it almost ended our relationship no i'm just kidding it, it, didn't, it didn't it didn't it's you know it didn't. i think um i think tension between people who are creating things is actually always leads to really interesting things so it's i think i find it really boring personally when everyone agrees with each other and then good puts their shit out me too <laughs> good because i disagree <laughs> <laughs> um but basically so what let's like add some context yeah yeah what let's, happened was we'll like so, let's get into it <laughs> let's get into it so Anne's Anne's kind of um assessment and and reading and i and i don't want to try to be too reductive because she does have like a, this huge view and she has a lot of different things that she's talking about but her basic kind of take if you want to use that word is that um the way medical the medical system and healthcare is talked about is um and people's personal experiences and, of illness right sure yeah um but i was just going to start by saying like the way it's talked about i guess yeah through the lens of people's personal experiences is it was in her experience really dishonest like she sort mm -hmm. of we got to this place of being a, a cancer patient and found like nothing that had that she had heard or the way that she, that it had been talked about resonated with her at all she felt super alienated from it she felt super alienated from breast cancer pink ribbon culture from um sort of the way people had been trained um sort of indirectly to console her to talk to her about this stuff the way medical professionals spoke to her. Mm -hmm. um, she was super sort of conflicted by, you know, every aspect about the financial aspect and all of that. Um, but her biggest thing is talking about personal experiences and mm -hmm. the way people talk about it is that this kind of like spin of um, positivity culture and this um, instinct to tell patients and for patients themselves to feel that they need to kind of, um, see look on the bright side and keep going mm -hmm. um is you know she has a big issue with that being sort of the default and yeah. so anyway i read this excerpt and started to read about the book and i was so on board and i was like hell yeah this is awesome can't wait to show kendall we should get her on the show and i sent it to kendall <laughs> and she basically had the opposite reaction i i don't know if i would say it's full 180 full degree opposite i agreed with a lot of the things that she writes about um i think one of the i even like you know jotted down in my iphone notes where i keep all of my precious thoughts mm -hmm. don't anyone steal my phone it's really actually <laughs> that'd be really hack your icloud oh yeah that's bad too um i should be worried about these things um so uh, the thing i wrote down was about how um people who are patients are expected to donate their courage to everyone else and um, and to just kind of like put a brave face on, yeah. um, put a smile on, to kind of be symbols and, for other yes, people. And yeah. the inspirational narrative, the hero narrative. Um, I do think that there is like a ton of truth in that. And I, I, I believe that that exists. Uh, I think where we, where it was challenging to me and my kind of current worldview and mm -hmm. honestly, like how I coped with my own personal struggle is like the I think that positivity can really can really help people. Right. And that to 
and I don't think that she's arguing this. And as we've kind of toiled with this between the two of us, like we've come to a much more clear stance of like, yeah. there is a both andness to this conversation, right. like a positive narrative and room for other narratives are right. is important. Like it's not a question of uh, if one should exist and the other one should not. It's the it's like both should exist right we should be fighting for both to have a space and currently potentially only one one narrative does have space, yeah. has space right. which is to be really positive and that is i just think like as i look um it's, it's hit me in a really interesting time in my life because i'm you know kind of um far enough from my um acute uh you know acutely chronic I don't even, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, yeah, right. you know, the acute the, parts of the, it. Yeah. I'm like f a little bit out from like being from the survival period of my right. life, which was unfortunately very long. Right. Um, that I can have this kind of look back on my experience and maybe go, oh yeah. Okay. Like I can see where that was, where, where maybe I, things were painted in a way that, that isn't necessarily fully true. Right. Um, though I do think painting them in that mm, perhaps not fully true way, right. uh, while going through it was, was incredibly helpful. beneficial. Yeah, yeah, right. So I don't know. And I also like, you'll hear us argue, or not argue, but just discuss this more in the episode and I don't yeah. want to ruin all of it for you. Right. Um, but it is really interesting because I do think it's like, you know, Jamie's coming at this from, a you're coming at this from like a little bit more of a. I, I don't want to say wizened perspective because I don't think that's necessarily no, fair to me. But. No, no. And I wouldn't say that either. I think it's just that like I've I've come to some of this um, like I've already done some of this. And that's not to say that like it's a it's an absolute timeline that everyone has to experience. But I, I have done some of this questioning mm -hmm. um, for a while myself and also just like. I think of big difference, which again, we talk about in the show. I don't want to mm -hmm. spoil too much, but I also began to come to it while I was in the middle of my sure. experiences. Yeah. Um, I was, I was already pushing back in a lot of places and kind of, and questioning. And that's not to say that it was, um, that one is right over the other. It's just a sense right. of different perspective. I think the overarching sentiment for me was exploring the like falsehoods of the illness experience. Yes. So anyway, uh, we really hope you enjoy this episode. Yes. I think it's a really good one. Yes. And is like beyond brilliant. So smart. Um, and we're very grateful that she took the time to talk to us. So enjoy. Man, I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on ya. And Boyer is here with us. Uh, she's a poet and essayist and author of the new book, The Undying, out from FSG now. Um, What's FSG? Ferris Strauss and Giroux. Yeah, you did it. I did it? Good job. Okay, <laughs> okay so it's the publisher. It's the publisher, it's the yeah. publisher. Got what's it. Their, what's their, um, like, who owns <laughs> Macmillan. Macmillan owns okay. it. Okay. Macmillan owns them, yeah. Okay. yeah. All of those little, in, those, like, little pub, like, what are they called? They're called like, like, like 
So all the imprints. Imprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, inroads, that's not it. Yeah. yeah, there's basically four houses and like a thousand imprints now. Or... Oh, this is a sad way to start the podcast. Let's preserve the fiction <laughs> sure, of sure, sure. diversity in the marketplace. It's a, it's a beautiful and wide world is publishing. <laughs> publishing it's is open flourishing. for everyone. The written word has never been hotter. <laughs> and every week. So every week we do this thing. Where we check in with how we're doing based on the pain scale. <laughs> I'm sorry if, if this brings back if this brings back the long, bad memories. Pain scale. Can you yeah. see the faces? Yeah, the faces. Like, I can see the faces. Oh my gosh. Here's yeah, a question for you. In adult care, do they show you the faces? They absolutely show you the faces. Okay, interesting. They absolutely mm-hmm. show you the faces. I think at one point I for some reason thought it was like just the faces were a pediatric thing because they thought we couldn't like understand no, a scale. It's part like, of the larger program of infantilizing everyone. Gosh, so there's oh, no gotcha. age in which you're exempt from that process. <laughs> from the there's also the exhaustion scale. Do you know this one? Oh, so no. they have pictographs for exhaustion too. And oh, so yeah. depending on the office, you get asked like, how much you hurt and how tired you felt. Oh. And then you got to pick a face for it. Wow. I don't like faces. Well, there was never general. a face for how tired I felt. Well, it's like you're like, where's the dead one? (laughs) (laughs) If you're tired enough, you're not present to even show the face. The face that isn't. Making a face takes real commitment and energy. First, I have to be conscious to make the face. Yeah. Um, so on a scale of one to ten, ten being horrible, because that makes sense, right? Because everything's backwards. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and one being fabulous. How's, no, how's I'm your week solidly been? in the neutral phase, like, like the solid five? horizontal line, okay. right? In You're which, the, yeah, in neutral, and don't think about it, like whatever I'm supposed to do, I can't think okay. about gotcha. how I feel right now because I have right. too much to do. So just that, yeah. Just, I guess it's, 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 a, it's a busy week. You're yeah, in a, you're yeah. in a going phase of life. Yeah, yeah. Jamie, what's what's your rating for your week? Um, I've had a pretty good week. I've had a very busy week. I feel like I feel like the exhaustion scale would be like more appropriate right um, right now. But I'll say I was about to go high. Then I was like, we know that's bad. Um, it's all backwards. Um, I'm at like a I'm at like a three, two or three doing cool. pretty good. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to say a four, just like four. a solid. Yeah. Like I can't say I think I'm on, I think I'm good in the realm of mediocre. Yeah. Does right. that make sense? I think that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. So now on to bigger and better things. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Talk about. Right. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, I, I wanted to put, um, well, first of all, I wanted to say to people who haven't read the book, um, to give them a little context, um, to me, it, it's, you're, it's getting compared a lot to illness as metaphor, um, which I think is apt in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um and i don't also like wow kudos to you illness is metaphor is like yeah. susan sontag that's pretty cool totally and i think um you know we'll get into it but i think like you have a little bit of a different mm-hmm. project that mm-hmm. you're going for um but the sort of sense i got of it and you can like tell me if you would sort of describe it differently is that it's kind of a corrective in a way of um to the sort of narratives that exist um both the like physical narratives like books and films mm-hmm. and stuff and just sort of the cultural narr- cultural and social narratives on how we talk about this thing like a, a corrective 
to sort of what exists. Well, that certainly, I mean, I think that it's been framed critically that way, right? So that in the, in the most prominent reviews, it's, it's been framed that way, but the, the book, um, I mean, I was attempting, I guess it wasn't, I mean, there are things that I want about the world to change, um, things both about illness and about the economic and social structures of the world that I want to change and everything that I've ever written is towards that end. Um, but there was also this other thing, which was like this question of how to know anything. And so uh, my joke subtitle they wouldn't let me use was an epistemological thriller because the book was like, how do I know what the truth is? in a time in which my mental faculties are being aggressively degraded um, by the medicinal processes that I'm going through, in which there's an ideological onslaught of what most, some of which appears to be like outright nonsense, like pink judo belt ribbons or whatever. Some of which maybe is good advice, like useful stuff to know, but all of it seeming really deceptive so that my senses didn't give me accurate information because chemotherapy is like in many ways, like a misdirection of the senses. You need the thing but the thing makes you feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Like the thing that makes you, that's going to, that they say will make you live, makes you want to die. So I had all of these like confusions. There I was like less sharp than I'd ever been with fewer skills, fewer faculties, an ideological onslaught, trying to like take on new terminology and new perspectives in the world. And also feeling like my life depended upon knowing the truth are part of it, to be able to make treatment decisions, to advocate for myself, um, to know when to obey mm-hmm. and when, when to, to be rebellious yeah. and all of that. And so it was like, so the book is like, so it's a corrective in part, but it's not a corrective issued from a place of knowing the answer, but more like a, like more an a attempt, question. an attempt yeah. to understand the set of questions that were around the experience. I think that's, if I can amend what I said a little bit, it's like, I think what I'm seeing is like a corrective perspective almost mm-hmm. like a, a, a corrective like lens even just as a way to, yeah, I think it's like, it's like a, no, this isn't the only way to look at this thing. And actually this is kind of quite confusing that this is how we as society have been looking at the experience of illness and what it should be. Well, and certainly part of like, so they so went immediately, of course, like, like, trying to understand the conditions of my diagnosis as a reader and so I just people start sending me books and I just read everything I can to try to get like a survey of what had been written and I realized that all the great writing about illness had been really particular to its time it had been really historically situated but what I didn't find were books that accounted for the screen life of illness for data and information for like the labor of the workers who um um transmit us into data bodies for like the dream life of the screen. Um, and these are all sort of things I'd written about before in other work. And so it was too, it was like the stuff that had already existed, the help we had in this, like this tradition of people who've writing about sickness, disability, and death, um, had all done these, you know, incredible jobs. And it was like only a dream to like be on the shelf next to them. But I also knew, oh, our moment of history, this experience, like, Susan Sontag did not write about vloggers, right? right? She didn't have them, but I do. And if I ignore them, if I pretend like I live in a world in which this doesn't inform my experience, I'm telling a lie. So I was just like really kind of rigorously trying to include the actual um, substance of the experience, which meant message boards and vlogs and tumors on screens. And how that 
totally yeah, changes things. I wanted to ask you specifically about kind of one of the other takes of the the book that I think kind of relates to this at some level. Um, it, and it's more around the kind of happiness, um, cur- courageous mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. that we kind of project onto people who are dealing with something that's some kind of illness. So one of the, the quotes from the book that I like underlined, highlighted, starred in my Kindle, if you can really do that. <laughs> um, and I took down in my notes, oh, we are supposed to keep our unhappiness to ourselves, but donate our courage to everyone. Um, and I wanted to have you kind of talk a little bit more about like the 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 pink ribbons, the rah rawness of, you know, mm-hmm. The cancer warriors with the shirts and the marches and, and all just kind those of like, things. Just keep going. Kind yeah. Of mindset. So and one I, thing, one thing about it is that that works for some people, and I know it works for some people, and I feel bad, right? This, oh man, like why you don't if somebody's in a desperate state and they have a thing that helps them like, who am I to try to say sure that can't help you I mean they might say like the shit you and your friends did was stupid like why would you do that when you have cancer too so I understand so part of me wants to say that I'm also fortunate that at least with the part of the book that has to do with pink ribbon culture that there are all these people who already wrote about it before me so that the book didn't have to spend that much time inside of it so Barbara Barbara Ehrenreich when she had breast cancer wrote a mm. book about this and um there's been all sorts of like incredible research done about um the more uh, the aspects of corporate charity that mm. profit off of um like friendly cancer causes sure. and so i came into it already yeah, i liked your um fuck cancer uh, take down <laughs> just like the idea of saying fuck cancer is like also saying fuck yourself because you have cancer and it's a part of you anyway absolutely, that's like absolutely. a side point but. And, so, and so i i really benefited from the work and thinking of so many other people before i even you know like as i got came into cancer then that was already there for me but there was also this thing that seemed really pernicious which is that even my friends who were like had great politics and understood about a effective labor and gender and all this stuff, all this stuff in our conversations, when it came to me having cancer, could not like stop saying this stuff. Like it just, and I don't even think like they wanted to, stuff? I mean, just like, Oh, you have to think positively or you need to like only think about certain things. Like, and I mean, people who should have known better, who sure. I think as soon as they said it, like felt embarrassed as if almost it wasn't them talking. It was like a knee jerk reaction. Right. It was like this, had. like there was like this other voice coming out of their mouth. It's like, Oh, that voice is the voice of ideology because you know when you say the thing and you don't know why you said the thing like that's the thing that we received that's coming out of us and so I was really so I watched it the other thing that I watched is like some cancer support groups was like patients doing it to each other Mm. and like saying all of the I mean I was I've I've been thinking because it's been the nightmare ever since I wrote the book which is like I remember people getting ganged up on if they ever said anything unhappy Oh, wow. And on, on forums and on stuff? On forums and stuff. Wow. And, and I mean, a lot of this is gendered, forums right? Forums in general are an interesting place. But, but it, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like it's a, it's a gendered, it's like this like weird thing, this nexus sure. of illness and gender that like produces this um, like pressure for emotional housekeeping and what well, you're supposed to I do. I thought that that, was, that whole kind of layer of the book was super interesting and because mm-hmm. 
of the ways in which I think women are allowed to take up space and the ways they're not allowed to mm-hmm. take up space mm-hmm. just culturally mm-hmm. um, and how that kind of like not being happy or kind of like letting people see your pain or, um, you know, oozing with pain in any kind of way feels mm-hmm. uh, countercultural and pretty unacceptable for women yeah. to be doing. I mean, I was talking to somebody last night who has breast cancer and she was saying that her experience of breast cancer is managing everybody else's feelings. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a key point. And I think, I think what's, <laughs> what's interesting is um, I think you could apply that to practically every experience of illness and people recognize it in different ways, not to be like so prescriptive about it. But we've talked about that before the, the way that like, so much of the time, the way people speak to sick people is so much about them, is so little to do with yeah, for you. Sure. And I think that, I mean, it seems to me that the reason why, I mean, the reason aside from this is like, this is ideology, this is society that's given us um, these sort of things to say, the reason those come out so easily in those moments is because when you're not the sick person, you want to feel, you don't want to feel that kind of badness of my friend or my partner or my don't loved one. Don't get your one. sadness on me. Yeah, or my, or my kid is actually going through this or that it's actually this bad. Well, I mean, so this is the thing. I had this dream on the night before I left for book tour And in my dream, my daughter had cancer, my ex-girlfriend had cancer, and a couple of writers I admire had cancer. We were all locked in a hospital slash house together, and they were all going in chemotherapy. And you know how chemotherapy corrodes your tissues and everything fissures so that your nose constantly bleeds and your mouth bleeds and your anus, like, you know, you're just like ripped apart or like certain kinds of chemotherapy. Sorry, I shouldn't just say it blankly. Like, you know, AC chemo, like fissures all the the orifices. and, And so they were all going through that visible thing um like ac chemo and um and i was the only one in the building without cancer and i was so angry i was so upset in my dream and i was like screaming shrieking and wailing and saying somebody did this to us like 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 Mm. this i was so like i was it was like the weird paranoid anger where you're just like who do i take down that Mm -hmm. did this to these people right like why Mm -hmm. are these 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 women that i love and know or that i admire like why are they suffering like that i woke myself up yelling i woke up and then i thought oh god no i was the one who had cancer it was me and then I thought, oh, God, that dream doesn't mean they won't get cancer, right? Because, like, that dream isn't enough. That dream sure. is not going to stop it. But then later on in the day, I realized, oh, God, that's how they probably felt when they saw me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's horrible to think about because, like, thinking yeah. of my own impotence, see, my own rage and, like, not yeah. even knowing, like, you don't even know who to go for. Like, did it. It's not like right. somebody's, like, trying to, like, murder a person you right. love. It's just a thing that's there. There's, right. like, a yeah. ghost. I think I've been thinking about this a lot, like, in a lot of really difficult circumstances in people's lives. Like, there is there is a counter like there is the villain and 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 a lot of times in like within illness the villain is in you like it's really a part of you and then by by that effect you are the 
the villain because you come to yeah, solely you... understand yourself as something inhabited by illness. Oh yeah. Well, and that's how you affect other people too. Like, I mean, I think the idea of like being a grenade in everyone else's life, like mm-hmm. you, you, you explode and everyone around you suffers, which I think ultimately informs how people, you know, can inform how people deal with it in a positive way or in mm-hmm. a way of like, I have to be strong for everyone else around me. I mean, think of like in movies, how villains are always like presented at having some like uh, it's sort of some visible disability or some right, that's like the classic like, Bond villain thing is like right or some like cancerous an appearance yeah. is another one right in mm. in which like we we actually like imagine right this as like right. that the person who bears yeah. the thing which is also really it's also messed kind up of fucked up yeah it's oh, messed incredibly. up it's messed up too because we're all subject to this yeah. Yeah. everyone with the body at any point could be sick or disabled right it's not as if being sick makes you other because being sick makes us one right like this is the thing that we all kind of bear like this potential Mm -hmm. inside of their embodied life and that we do this i mean gosh i've got i watch mad max fury road (laughs) with the um what are you know the boys, the oh, metal, the yeah, tumors, yeah. and the yeah. blood bags. Yeah, like wow, it's cancer treatment. Yeah. yeah. Um, to that point, yeah. Uh, there's something I wanted to bring up um, that goes a little bit also to sort of this question of like, what's the project of the book, or, or one of the many projects? Um, and I'm going to do something horrible right now, which is if I can, I'm going to read some tweets of yours back to you oh no i don't think you should do it are they good tweets? they're good tweets i say them, right. I say them okay because sometimes yeah. i say stupid things oh, no, no, on no. the internet no no, no 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 this isn't like a i'm not trying to cancel anybody no no, no. like you said something last and week no i meant like so maybe like frivolous no no no, no, no. It, was, it was so okay. good they're around your book they're around your book they're around the book you said something last week in a tweet form which i'm sure is like spiritually covered in the book but i thought was like such a good mm-hmm. distillation of what you're talking about it and a little bit kind of this discussion Kendall can I have had about like what can be um the the purpose and we can get to this question in a second what can be the purpose of recognizing as you just said like illness and sickness and suffering is like what makes us one mm-hmm. um so you tweeted uh perhaps the strangest thing about me is that I believe we can make <laughs> sorry challenging works of literature for a wide and appreciative readership that absolutely refuse accommodationist politics mm-hmm. I don't even believe the truth hurts I believe the truth has a familiar animal feeling even a relief the truth like a home mm-hmm. um I just first of all I thought that was so beautiful mm-hmm. and so well put and so um, kind of like just uh, a a good distillation of what feels to me like a lot of what you're working through in the book is this idea that like putting forth pain mm-hmm. and acknowledging the stuff that we don't normally want to acknowledge as kind of a universal truth mm-hmm. and as like a universal language almost. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Well, idea? some of that also had to do with form, because I mean, I come from small press poetry and experimental poetries in which people, um, I was told, you know, you're going to have like 14 readers ever. Mm. And that if you have more than that, that means you've sold out in some way. And I oh, was just geez. like, not true, yeah. because I've written formally complex and difficult literature. And you know what? Lots of people have ended up reading it. And so sure. when I wrote this one, I was like, I have two goals. I want this to have a wide readership. Because 
because I think that there are going to be people who recognize some of the things in this book that are useful to them. And two, I want it to be a work of literature that's my work of literature that's written the way that I write, yeah, right? right? Like yeah. I want it to have an artistic quality to it. And so I was like, I just believe that readers don't need pablum. They don't need things watered down. They don't need a certain kind of um, politics that holds up the status quo. They don't need any of this. That readers can meet mm-hmm. radical forms. Mm-hmm. They can meet various political propositions that they're not that 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 these these snobbish um, ideas are actually like the self protective ideas of people whose work isn't for what it's like their excuse right Right. about something and so that's part of it the part about the truth is that i know for me when i encounter difficult truths i'm much happier than when i am met with pretty lies that i know are untrue Mm. like i'm miserable when i feel like i'm seeing a lie Mm -hmm. and i would much rather encounter something difficult that's true. true. Yeah. Than something that's been sugarcoated for me. Um, I mean, I honestly, I mean, I do, I do think, especially one of the things that I learned through illness was the way that our experiences of having, of being embodied and of being vulnerable, like made solidarities, like unexpected solidarities. I think this moment yeah. in the in the infusion room where the nurse is trying to tell us it doesn't hurt. And I'm like, it hurts when you put a needle in my yeah, port. Right. And everyone else yeah. in the room, like this chorus of people like, all yeah. from different walks of life were like, you know what? It does hurt. It yeah. does hurt. It was like the miracle of the needle in which we all finally just said, stop yeah. lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's so amazing. You, you encountered... You encounter yeah, so many. Like, yeah, you can't feel it. And I'm like, no, I can actually feel my liver. Trust <laughs> right. me, I can feel it. And you encounter so many of those lies constantly to the point where um, I think most you like once if you're inside it, you don't recognize them as lies when they're happening because it's so in the language. And I think what's crazy why I why I hear things like that and go like, why who decided that that's how we're going to talk about it is as a, a, the human instinct when someone tells you it's not going to hurt. And then it does hurt is to get really fucking angry. Betrayed. It's not to go, Betrayed. okay, I'll just tell myself it didn't hurt. Even though I know I have the evidence right here, it did hurt. Yes, it's betrayal. And it's like, no one is sold on that. No one, no one buys it. So like, what is this that we have adopted this, this way of this approach that I think even beyond this example of like <laughs> lies and language goes to like this larger point of, of, yeah. Because the person saying the lie is telling themselves the lie because exactly. it is hard. Like the caregivers, sure. the, the, the they people, don't want to hurt people. They don't want to hurt yeah, people. And yeah. so that they're taught. They help people. Yeah. I mean, I understand yeah. it, yeah. but I also hope, you know, this is, I, I gave a talk at the British Columbia Nurses Union um, right after I really quite close to when I was done with treatment. And part of the talk was about the way that obviously people who work in medicine get sick too. They have mm-hmm. cancer too. They're also private caregivers, right? They have to care for their spouses, their children, their sisters, their parents. And so that they, so it's not just a profession, sure. but they have, they occupy yeah. all these sort of roles. Um, and I learned so much 
I sat in the nurses union conference listening to them talk about what their work lives were like. And I always thought nurses were probably geniuses. I mean, like all yeah, through my book, all through my book, that, I'm yeah. like, who are these? Like, who are I these want to be people? a doctor. They're I'm much, like, no, yeah. be a nurse. Nurses, nurses are, are much better. more capable. <laughs> but I was, I, I was, I was utterly impressed with, um, what I heard in, inside of their professional organization, the kinds of questions they were asking. Mm. And I've been really pleased when I hear from uh, nurses and doctors and cancer researchers and other caregivers mm-hmm. um, about the book, um, because I think that there are a lot of people working in medicine who don't want to lie either. Yeah. And they don't want things to be this bad. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's tough because they exist they exist also in their side of the system, which can, I think, can handcuff them in a lot of ways against telling people what they know to be true. I think the the part that I struggled with the most in the book is that I don't think that all positivity culture is a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where Jamie and I... <laughs> that's like the argument we started to get into. <laughs> that's where Jamie and I really like Oh, I don't fractured. think it is either. I mean, I right. think that, that, that yeah. everybody's got their... And I certainly, my friends and I had our own ways of dealing with things like sure. that. We made our own rituals and our own like emotional reactions to things. Um, I mean, also, I tend to have a really kind of like strong intellectual streak. And so for me, um, criticality and reading and like trying to sort of puzzle through things intellectually is part of my coping mechanism. But I know people who are like, I want sweatpants and Netflix and, you know, and and some opiates and I will see you on the other side. And I'm just going to laugh at the movies that I watch and like get through it. And I think that's all legit. Um, I think that when the only option, however, is, um, one in which a narrow range of feelings are allowed and that people meet aggressive correctives, including the one that people would say to me, which is like, oh, well, I had a niece who had breast cancer, but she died. Um, yeah. She always had such a negative attitude. Oh, God. So. Oh, my God. People yeah, telling think... you or say like the story of Kathy Ack or something like that. Yeah. So again and again saying you will die. If you have a negative. If you attitude. have yeah. this thought. And I think. Yeah. That's, and if you I'm die, so it's because, because you had a thought, a feeling. And I, oh, gosh. And I think that's my reason. But, I want to be clear. Like, we got into this argument, but I was, yes. I think we were both. We're, we're not we in were an both, argument we're anymore, a, no, no, no. to clarify. We were, we were both approaching it from the side of different things worked for us, but we're talking about a different question is like, what do different attitudes and positions allow on a larger scale Mm -hmm. and beyond the personal, beyond what you need to cope, what can they do? And I think when I started as, as maybe a 14, 15 year old to really kind of like chafe against the positivity that had been fed Mm -hmm. to me so long and to really fall out of it is when I started to notice, I think exactly what you just talked about. And when I started to realize that if people were telling me that, that a positive attitude was a large contributor to my success that obviously there's a flip side. If you're talking in, if you're talking in extremes like that, there's obviously a flip side to everything. And I started to think about it more and I thought, and and I, it's also coincided with, for me, a period of um, losing friends that I had met on the floor in a row. And I sort of, I kind of like had to 
kind of sit up and look around and think, so if the positivity is what's getting me through, did I just watch an eight-year-old die because he did it wrong? Like, is that what we're talking about are, here? This is absolutely it, is I do not want to betray the dead and I do not want to behave as if to be a survivor is to win and to die is to be a loser because sure. people yes. who die of cancer do not die of their attitudes. No. They don't right. die because they no. ate a hot dog or smoked a cigarette. Right. right. They don't die because they were disobedient one day right. or because they were sad one day. Right. Sure. You know what? There are people again and again who will blame people and especially women for their own right. death. Say sure. they wanted to die. Say they didn't fight hard enough. And when my chemotherapy oh, worked. Yeah. yeah. And this is the book is full of this, right? It's yeah. full and of this, this rage. I think this is what I have been reacting about this. About, so about, about. So when I, my chemotherapy I have comes a counterpoint. When my chemotherapy comes out okay and people say to me, oh, it's because you're so strong, because you're so remarkable. You're and like, I'm I think, sorry, I didn't get to choose this bullshit. Right, and I'm just like, how, how, can you, how can you, I mean, I, so, you know, like a friend of mine, his wife died of triple negative during the time I was being treated, younger than I was, also an incredible, strong, passionate, intelligent person. How in the world am I supposed to bask in the glory of my survival? Right. Sure. When I know people who have every right to have long and beautiful oh, yeah. lives who die right and to think that somehow my thoughts yeah. are responsible for this right. no, uh, i i totally agree with all of that i think that that's like it's disgusting that anyone would ever proclaim that an attitude is something that saved can someone I, can i just add one thought sure. to that um i don't we don't need to go down this whole road, but I know capitalism is a big sort of fixation in the book. And I, I think part of that attitude, I think a contributing factor into that kind of, um, talk mm -hmm. and that position is this larger kind of like very capitalist position of succeeding with pull what, yourself up by yeah. the bootstraps well, kind and, of thing. Well, and with whatever style. And well, with success, mostly that whatever success you experience, whether that's success over an illness, mm -hmm. uh, that success in a job or a career must be due only to your innate skill and hard work and determination. <laughs> you see that so much in the professional yeah. world. And it's not to say that those things don't play roles, but I feel like that is a larger cultural uh, stance that kind of... When all these sociological statistics tell the truth, which is if you're black, right. you have a greater risk of dying of this. If you're single... Right. You have a greater risk of dying. If you're poor, you have a right. greater risk of dying. Yeah. Yeah. And so we know we can see it play out in a systematic way. Mm -hmm. And then all of this unfairness of the way the world is currently arranged is reorganized back into emotional housekeeping and self-management. Right. So like, you know, drink your smoothie and smile. Right. Right. There's, yeah. there's always a, a, a tropic or a, a rose water for you. I just wanted to add that, no. add that uh, tech because I think that um, contributes oh, yeah. to why people are so ready mm -hmm. to kind of go from that angle. But to your, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear. Yeah. I'm interested to hear. So, I guess my my take on this whole thing is, I th first off that I fully believe that this narrative or this 
additional narrative that you're you both are favor favoring right which is Mm -hmm. like we should not not just that we should tell the truth but like that we should tell the truth in a in a way that like um because i think there's like good truth and bad truth right and like we i think at least from what i'm hearing or what i am taking from your perspective is like we should tell the bad truths Mm-hmm. And like, cause I don't think that all truth is good or, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, we're assigning value, I guess. But what I'm saying is like, you should, we should share the pain. We should share the reality. We should mm-hmm. never, we should not try to protect anyone. I fully agree that all of those things are, are good and great. And, and I think that the narrative has largely been, well, just got through it. You're so brave. Like, <laughs> you're going to be amazing. You're going to make it through a shining star and hero. Um, wow. What an inspiration. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's all problematic. Yes, I do. But do I also think that like, there is a, that we can make really important meaning out of suffering and that that actually can, really help people in general and help the world. Like I do believe, and I don't think that they're divorced. I don't think that it's like Mm -hmm. one or the other. I do think it's a both and situation. Mm -hmm. Um, but when Jamie and I were having this conversation, I was like, no, you're attacking my worldview. Right. And my worldview is to take yeah, yeah. is to take everything and make something and find purpose out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like take what happened to me and find a reason it happened right. and do something good with it. Mm-hmm. Take my lemons and make lemonade, mm-hmm. which I think ultimately has really served me in my life right. and, and served other people. And I think that like, it's not that that perspective is bad or wrong. It's just that that shouldn't be the only shouldn't narrative the only, we, yeah, yeah. we share. So, I mean, obviously I, I agree with you too, which is that I got cancer and I wrote a book because because you wanted to do something. Because I wanted to do something and I was pretty right. good at writing. Yeah. And it would have been easier to not write the book. It was like, I hate that I had to write a cancer book. Yes. I, like, I have all these other yeah. things I want to sure. write. I'm yeah, so absolutely. excited to do other things. But on the other hand, I was so angry about um, what was happening not just to me, I think like somehow I managed to get angry about other people in some ways where what what I saw and what I saw Mm -hmm. as the degradation of life and the degradation of death. And which I think is an important part of human existence and which I think had been that, that all of this actually like cheapens the mortality itself, which is an amazing part of being alive is, is knowing that death is there and beginning to understand it and, and to feel it. And so my version of doing that positive thing was to apparently spend five years writing a 40,000 page book, a 40,000 word book, (laughs) like five years on what is actually a very short book um, in which I like tried to like condense and compress um, everything about it into something that might be able to reach people and make a difference and um, And artistic life and political life and everything else. I totally see that now. I think upon my first, like, I think I read the excerpt. Yeah, I sent you the New Yorker article first. That was the first thing I read Um, and I was like, all right. 
<laughs> we're gonna <laughs> no i like yeah. i mostly agreed with it but i also also had all of these kind of questions we were, about we it we were ready to scrap in my kitchen like two weekends <laughs> well, ago the new yorker <laughs> excerpt is actually like so they they reconstituted right, it's the not, entire book sure, yeah. into like completely other things yeah. distilled it into something because the book different. has um is obviously not a straightforward narrative of illness it's got all right. of this sort of philosophical aesthetic and political content which doesn't show up in the excerpt and you also um, you write in a, a kind of also like poetic essayistic style yeah. in a lot of places and the new yorker like yeah this is not compute. the beauty. yeah right right <laughs> well no i mean they did they did fine with, with what they did but they basically took it and made it like a much more conventional narrative yeah and so so much about what was happening in the book about these larger questions of ideology and history did not make it into that excerpt yeah um, um and i would just say like to what kendall said like i think that's the thing is is it's all, I think it's all a question of perspective and all very tied to where I come from personally, because for me being an advocate, I guess you'd say of, of telling the bad truth. And but I also want to say like, I, my, my advocacy is not for anything exclusive. It's for allowing, right. right? It's for yeah. allowing and opening yeah. for that also to be there. But I would say like, for me, and I think for you as well, and like, like you just said, there's tons of purpose to be made out of that as well there's tons of meaning and like mm-hmm. everyone has kind of like their own meaning and their own purpose um as well and i think well i think there is a lot of noble meaning and cry- trying to create uh, an accurate portrayal of an experience that people are having that then they like read all this stuff and they realize like wait i'm sorry like, am I missing something? Because this is not my experience, right, you know, yeah. so like creating an accurate portrayal of, of an experience that then people can read and put words to their own feelings. Like that's yeah. important. I mean, this is one of the things, a really positive accounts of medical experiences are a form of gaslighting and they make you feel crazy. So when I'm in yeah. a cancer clinic and it's all, every single picture of a cancer patient is smiling and I feel like hell. Yeah. I feel crazy. I'm feel like somebody's gaslighting right. me. Yeah. Interesting. So I, that that because I know that those smiles are not correspondent to this pain. Or I look around and I don't see all the smiles. Sure. I see the pain. And so part of the the taking up the mantle of trying to describe really precise experience, like um, and get rid of some of like the empty correctives is like to let other people know that they haven't lost their mind. And so, so much, actually ever since that excerpt and there was just one in the guardian, I had so many, resp- I mean, I got these emails from people who've been through it in some way. And so many of them, it just is the first time I've right. ever read yeah. anything that's like my experience. Yeah. When I first started to write it, I thought I was just going to write this a purely um, classic work of nonfiction argument, oh, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I was perpetually failing at it. And I realized the reason I'm failing at this is it's fake and that I too have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and that I have to admit wow. this isn't just an abstraction in the body. This is right. actually just this yeah. my wow. body. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And what was that realization like for you? Well, it's hard. Be, I mean, you just... Because it feels vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Like where, where you have to come to terms with the fact that it's like that's you, yeah, and that you're 
you know, that's, it, I mean, it's still, I think I still wrestle with it. It's like easy to imagine it as something that happened to somebody else. Yeah, distant. Yeah. I'm curious because, I mean, you know, as, as we've sort of discussed, while, while you're saying a lot very well in the book, it's not saying sort of one thing right. alone. So much of it does feel um, very sharp on topics that are incredibly thorny and have been worked over by so many people already so much mm-hmm. and is saying something new. I'm wondering like how intellectually you were going through this and thinking about what you thought about it and thinking about what you thought about it in relation to sort of the world at large and what other people had already said. Like, what is it, what was it kind of like to be like developing for like in an almost academic way, your sense of what was happening to you well, as right. it was happening. So part of what was fortunate is that while well, I feel like I had been undisciplined in my writing or publishing, like I do read a lot. Yeah. So I already had like kind of a yeah, the knowledge intellectual base. and political framework gotcha. yeah. that I like slid into illness. It's like, oh, you know, like like I got some of this because I've read all this like feminist theory and stuff. So like I have some of it intact, right? Like so my intellectual work up to that point like like um my curiosity up to that point I had done some of that work for me the other thing that i have which is the most important thing in life is to have friends who are smarter than you are mm. it's like the key to a good life and they knew yeah. that i would feel miserable if i couldn't have an intellectual life during treatment and so they'd come to visit and we'd I'd go to chemo I'd be falling over just pumped with like 16 drugs yeah. and anyone else would have gone to bed and I'm like no we're going to like sit on this sofa and we're just gonna have these conversations and we're just keep talking and I'm like even if I look like I should be in bed just yeah. let me sit here and yeah. be myself yeah because like the thing like the thing like whatever we do to get through and so some people need like we have different coping mechanisms and mine was just like please don't let me lose me entirely and who i am is the person who sits on the sofa and has big conversations all night and i want to be that person now too wow it's i love your friends yeah i mean this is it's like there's a there's a whole other story to be written about the people who took care of me and all that they did and and like the adventures that we had together Thank you again so much for for coming out and seeing us and fitting us into your very brief time in New York. (laughs) Yeah, what an honor. And like the book is so complicated and so good and everyone should read it. Well, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Unless you're scared of snakes or needles. Don't because that's say on the that. All right. I just want to warn people. My friends are scared of needles. I don't, there's no like nitty gritty representation of a needle that like is written that I feel like they oh, can't right. no, handle. I just want the cover has a snake yeah. around yeah. a needle, it's but if you're, if you're scared of needles, the snake will protect you. There you go. And if you're scared of snakes, the, the needle, needle will protect, protect you. you. So you're covered. <laughs> and if you open the book, boom, it's gone. You can't see it anymore. Yeah. It's magic. And if you read it on Kindle, you never have to do it. Right. That's yeah. the solution. Or there's an audiobook version. You don't even have to hear device. my voice with that one. <laughs> so anyway, The Undying is out now from FSG. Right. Go um, buy it. Go buy it. Anne Boyer, thank you so, so much. Yeah. This was wonderful. Thank you. This is a very fun conversation. Is there anything you just, you want to 
plug, plug or say. I mean, well, so I will say this: the nonsense that is Pinktober is coming up, in which there are all of these corporations trying to profit off of breast cancer. And um, it would be an excellent time to support the activist group Breast Cancer Action, which is um, the watchdog against the exploitative um, like corporate instrumentalization of the suffering of people with cancer. And they did done so much research and so much activism. For example, um, the reason I know about the pink fracking drills is because of them. So Instead of um, spending your money on pink ribbon stuff this year, give it to Breast Cancer Action. That's a great That's plug. Wonderful. I love that. I love that. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We're so happy. All right. Thank you. thank you. Bye. All right. Bye, everyone. Work it, make it, do it makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. That 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 don't kill me can only make me stronger